Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. I'm excited. Um, man, I've, I've been jumping out of my skin this morning. I'm excited because I really believe that God has given me a word to share. And man, it is good when there's a word that God gives us as believers, not only to change us, but to give to someone else. If, if you don't know me, my name is Ethan Floyd, and the biggest thing you need to know is there's nothing special about me. Um, <laughs> if there's a list of mistakes, mine is long. But I'm just a believer who has the Holy Spirit, who's been born again in Christ, and I'm trying one day at a time to seek him. And out of that place in John 15, John, in John 15, Jesus says to the disciples when he's talking about them, he says, you are already made clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This word today, guys, I'm excited because it is all about Christ. And it's going to be good. And, and, and as I was in my office Thursday, I, I was trying to connect this passage. Uh, the pastor left me with a tough passage um, to, to kind of pick up where he left off. Ecclesiastes has been great, and I'm excited and honored to be able to have the privilege to share with you uh, this morning. But he left off in, in verse 14, if you all remember of last week. We're in chapter 7, so we're picking up today in verse 15 through the end of the chapter, Lord willing. And as I was reading this, I was like, man, this is deep. If you read ahead, you know what I'm talking about. But as I was reading this, this is deep. And I, I was in my office Thursday and I was trying to, to connect the dots and find the theme. And where is Solomon going with this? And how does this point to Jesus? And, and God, what are you saying? Help me to see through spiritual eyes. Not just physical of trying to understand it. But help, help me understand it in a way that changes me. You know, so often, guys, I think we can come before the Lord and understand him in a way that doesn't change us. In a way that our spiritual eyes never even opened. I love how Paul says, I believe in Ephesians 1.18, I pray therefore that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or may be open so that you may see within you the hope of the glorious one who called you. And as I was in my office Thursday, I kid you not, something happened to me that has not happened in a long time. I just began to weep. And I was trying so hard to make Ecclesiastes fit together in my mind and, and do a good job preaching. And, 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 the, and the presence and the glory of the Lord fell on me in that office. And I couldn't explain it. There's worship music in my ears with my, with my, um, my earbuds in or whatever. And, and I couldn't explain it, but Ecclesiastes left my mind. The scripture, what I was thinking about, left my mind. And God's presence invaded. And I don't really know what the purpose of that moment was with Jesus. But it felt like it was just a, a, a romance, a honeymoon, a moment, an intimate session. I don't know what you want to call it, but there was a point where undeniably there was the presence and the glory of God. And I left out of that office different. And I wasn't any closer to finishing the sermon, but I left different. <laughs> and, and as I went throughout my day, my eyes began to see others focused again. And begin to see through more of his, eye, his eyes with a heart of prayer and a heart of thankfulness. And so there, there, you know, there might be a lot of rabbit trails today. There's a lot of good stuff that's coming out of Ecclesiastes. But the main point today is that last song, Jesus is our cornerstone and it all points back to the gospel. And we're gonna get to that. But first I wanna pray because I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, please, what happened in that office Thursday, can you let it happen again Sunday morning? And so no matter where you are in your walk, in your life, whether you're a believer or not a believer, or maybe you're a believer that's really struggling and anywhere in between, 
let's go to the Lord in prayer and I'm just gonna ask for God's sake, not because there's anything special about me, trust me, but for God's sake, will his glory fall in this place. Jesus, Father, we are here. It is by divine appointment that we are here and you have filled this place with a house of praise this morning and a house of worship. And God, I ask boldly in Jesus' name, this will be a day we never forget. Nothing to do with who's in the audience or who's on stage, God, but for your glory and for your purposes. I ask that your spirit fall in this place in a new way so we might not understand it, but when we walk out of here, we leave changed. We leave different. Jesus, I pray that you open the eyes, God. We're in a lost and dying world that needs a hope and that you open our eyes to the things of you, Jesus. God, I ask that your glory and your presence fall in this place. Yes, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I was gonna tell a joke this morning, but I'll just dive in. <laughs> Starting in verse 15. Solomon says, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who perish or who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. First time I read that, I was like, what in the world? (laughs) We're just going to start with verse 15, guys, and we're going to start with this tension that Solomon presents here. I remember when I was in high school, it was my senior year. There wasn't long until I graduated. And I was, I helped kind of lead FCA, me and a buddy of mine. And and I was really serious about, you know, God had changed my, my heart radically as a 10th grader and there was a guy I was really burdened to share the gospel with. And I remember I was really intimidated because he was really intelligent. And he was a known atheist at the school. I, th- I think I was known as the, the Christian dude or the FCA guy at the school, and he was known as the atheist guy. He was known as the guy who don't argue. He's, he was witty, he was funny, he was clever. Girls liked him. I mean, he was, just, he was just cool. He had it going on. And on top of that, he had such witty, clever, deep insights as to why he thought God wasn't real. And I really wanted to share the gospel with him, but I was afraid. What if he asked me a question I don't know how to answer? What if he says this and I look dumb? What if I make Jesus look foolish? Well, I knew all that was lies of the enemy, and I said, you know, I got to try. And so one day we're in history classes together right before we graduate. I think it was like the last or second last week of school, my senior year. And I said, Corey, I said, why don't you believe in God? And he told me a little about his story and how he grew up with divorced parents, and he had a tough upbringing. And he had moved there like a couple years prior. And in conclusion, he said, Ethan, I believe it's foolish to think there's not an intelligent being and a creator who made us. But I think it's foolish to think there's a God who cares because there's so much evil in the world that if there is a God out there, clearly he doesn't care and clearly he's not loving or clearly he's not involved. That's my opinion on God. And so as you see in verse 15, Solomon says, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility or vanity. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness or dies young, and a wicked man who gets blessed, it looks like, who lives long. And so the rest of this passage, Solomon is wrestling with this tension of, I'm trying to understand why is it that bad things happen to good people, and it appears that good things happen to bad people? Why is it that, that maybe the single mom gets in an accident on the way to work? Or the person who's living innocently and trying, to, and trying to be a good person all of a sudden gets cancer? Why is it that COVID happens and, and takes away a loved one or maybe just the fear and the isolation that it's brought with it? 
Why are all these things happening? Why is this sin? Why is this destruction? Why is this happening? Especially those who are upright and chasing the Lord. And so Solomon's purpose here, as, as God has gifted him, it says he was the wisest man that walked the earth because God supernaturally gave that to him. We read about that earlier. But Solomon's purpose, I believe, is to figure out why do these bad things happen? Should we try harder to please God or should we just give up? Or what do we do? Why do the righteous die in their righteousness and the wicked prolong their life? I don't understand it. And so with that being the tension, let's talk about what Solomon discovers as he seeks to figure this, 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 um, this paradox, this paradox of life that doesn't make sense out of good versus evil. In verse 16, we read, he says, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? And I'll stop there. I'm not going to stop on every verse today, but doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Now, as you're reading that, my, my first thought and the easiest way to try to make that not contradict other scripture was like, well, clearly he's talking about people who are arrogant or they're trying to look righteous, but they're not. But by doing, not that I'm smart, but by doing more research in the Greek and Hebrew and commentaries and reading the context, that's clearly not what he's talking about. Solomon's literally saying, don't be too righteous. Don't be super righteous. And it's like, wait a minute. In Matthew 5, 6, the Sermon on the Mount, but didn't Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied? Later in that sermon, in Matthew 5, 48, he says, but be perfect, therefore be perfect as I am perfect, as I am in the Father. And we see all along that this, this idea of Israel being this, this example of set apart and holy and without sin and all these laws trying to keep them so people can look at them as a light, a beacon on a hill, a light on a hill. And then you read this verse and it really feels like at first glance it contradicts this huge truth that God wants us to be righteous, right? And so how do we make sense of this? And I really believe Solomon is dealing with the motivation of what comes with when you're trying to be really righteous. I have two points I want to make. The first is the, the motive of earning. It was a common thought, especially back then in Solomon's day, prior to Jesus, that if you were suffering, if there was a tragedy, if there was something bad happening in your life, it was because of sin that went unconfessed or unaccounted for. Y'all remember the story of Job? There was about 30-something chapters of his friends giving him counsel where Job would talk and then one of them would talk and they'd go back and forth. And kind of what they were trying to say is, Job, I hear you, but clearly there's something you're not telling us. God's judgment came down on you because you've done something wrong. Just be honest with us. And in a lot of poetic language and just deep talks, that's what it's saying is, hey, Job, this clearly happened because there's some sin in your life we don't know about. Just be honest. And there was this fear, and it makes sense because you see in Exodus 2012, you hear things like when, when uh, the law is given, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God was giving you. It was a thought that if, if I'm obedient, I live longer. In Deuteronomy 5.33, walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. It was a thought they held on to that if I do good, God will bless me and I live long. If I die young or if something happens or if tragedy hits, famine comes, it's because I wasn't righteous enough. Do y'all see how paralyzing that thought process is? That's tough. And, and although we, we're on the other side of Jesus, we have the New Testament now and we know that he wrote Ecclesiastes before that, but even on the other side of Jesus, we might not look at it as, as just as black and white as that, 
But how many of us still struggle with this earning mentality of, man, I've been tithing again. I've been going back in church. I've been getting involved in Bible study. I've been more consistent in my devos. Like, man, blessings are coming my way. Bless up. That was a cultural thing. When I was a millennial a few years ago in college, it was like, bless up, bless up. God's blessings. And it was like, it was all about God's blessings. And it sounded good at first. And like, yeah, like, let's increase our faith and believe this. But the root of it's kind of this mindset of like, man, if we, man, if we, if we're obedient, we can use God just enough. We can use the blesser just enough to get his blessings. And that earning mentality is completely wrong. And Solomon says, stop it. You can't earn his favor. You can't earn longer life. Stop it. Secondly, I believe why he said that was to get at the motive of, of the paradox of righteousness, I want to call it today. A paradox is something that's true but appears not to make sense. It's not a contradiction, but it appears to be so. The paradox of righteousness is this. God calls us to be righteous, but we can't. And we'll see that later. Solomon says it in the next verse and in verse 20. But God calls us to be righteous, but we can't. And even the attempt to strive to be righteous is vain, is presumptuous, and it's profitable in and of itself. A life obsessed with righteousness blinds a person that they have sin that needs saving. Do we see that? How many of us today, how many, oh gosh, this preaches. How many of us today, how many people out in the world believe they're a generally good person? They are a up and right, they're upstanding, a right living person who does, the, who does what matters right. I do what counts. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I have good character when it counts, when it really matters, when someone's in need. I've helped the homeless, I've helped the poor, I've given money here and there. How many of us have or know friends that have this mindset that like according to their own standards of how they view the world or how they view God or how they view whatever, eternity, all these things, they feel like they're pretty right. And according to their conception of that, I'm going to go to heaven if there is a heaven. Right? And Solomon's saying, hey, the idea of thinking you can even be righteous and you can even be good on your own is a direct slap in the face and rebellion to God because what he's saying is we cannot be righteous and to try to be so is to miss the whole point of why later we see that Jesus came. If you don't recall when Jesus came, what groups was it? What people was it that missed the whole point? Yeah. Many of the Jews, specifically the Pharisees, other religious leaders of that day. And I believe they were really trying. It's easy to read the Bible from like my viewpoint and be like, man, what losers? How could they just ignore him? He's right there. He just healed him. But they were actually passionate about holiness. They were actually passionate about the scriptures. They had the Old Testament memorized or the Torah memorized, the, the first five books at least and, and, and many more. But like they, they were serious about being righteous. But in their serious, in their pursuit of righteous. They missed everything. Y'all remember when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, hey, good, good teacher, what must I do to enter uh, eternal life for the kingdom of heaven? And he says, why do you call me good? No, no man is good except for one. He was proving a point there. And then later he turns to the disciples after that and says, he says, oh, don't, like, don't forget, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Do y'all see this common theme? It's, it seems like a paradox of, hey, go be righteous. Like I'm, go be perfect like I am. But the fact that you even try to is a mistake in and of itself. Like what, what do we do, right? Like it seems like a contradiction. How does this fit together? We know the Bible doesn't lie to us. And so the thing Solomon is addressing here is one, 
against the earning mentality by trying to be super righteous and two, the lie that you can even be righteous. And he says overly wise, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that later. I don't wanna stop there now. And after you read verse 16 and you understand that, it could be like, well, that's kind of depressing. If I can't be righteous, and even the thought that I can be righteous is a sin, well, I should just do whatever, right? Let me just have fun. Because today I live and tomorrow I die, as it says earlier in Ecclesiastes. Well, I think to warn us of not doing that is why he continues in verse 17. And he says, do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? And let me spend a tiny bit of time here too because when it says do not be excessive, excessively wicked, once again, it means the same exact thing as excessively righteous. Don't be overly wicked, overly righteous. I'm sorry, yeah, overly wicked, overly sinful, which leads us to think, does that imply we should be a little wicked? Does that imply I should break the rules just the small ones? Some of the rule breakers in here, when you see that, you're like, oh gosh, this is going against everything I believe. <laughs> I wasn't a rule breaker, so it's fun for me to think these thoughts. But I mean, so I, was a, I wasn't a rule follower, that's something I'm going to say. Um, I was always like, let's obey the essence of the rule, not the letter of the rule. That was just my way to like sin and not feel bad about it. But anyways, <laughs> so <laughs> what does he mean by don't be excessively righteous? Does he mean, I'm sorry, excessively wicked? Does he mean be wicked a little bit, but just not too much? No, what Solomon is saying is, and it's in parallel with verse 16, you are already wicked enough so much so that there's zero chance you can be righteous. You are already extremely wicked just for the sake of your humanity. You are already ever rebellious against God in your humanity. Don't go, you're already extremely wicked. Don't go and add more to it by choosing to sin on top of how imperfect you already are. Don't go and deliberately sin when there's things you know you should and should not do and there's things you know you, you should do. Don't go and choose the sin on top of your already state is wickedness. And so when he says, don't be excessively wicked and don't be a fool, he's saying, stop. And the end of that verse says, why, why should you die young or why should you ruin yourself early? Guys, did you know that there's sins in our life that they don't all lead to physical death, but some do. I guarantee every person in here knows someone or has a family member or a close friend that has died from an addiction, has died from being on a substance while they were driving, got in a wreck, or someone else that crashed into them. There are sins that take our life. There are decisions that take our life, but even if it doesn't, what it does is it, it causes a misery and a bitterness, as we'll see later in verse 26, and in an inward death where we're never satisfied on this earth and we're just strung alone like a carrot in front of a dog that can't catch it. And so what he's saying is in verse 18, he goes on to say, it is good if you fear God, it's good that you grasp one thing and also let, not let go of the other for the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. The one who seeks God can understand the truth of this paradox of what does it mean grasp one and not let go of the other he means stay in between these truths of you can't earn God's favor you can't earn God's blessing you can't earn longer life also the truth that you can't be righteous in the first place so stop trying so hard and you need a savior because you are wicked and secondly that you are wicked already stop adding to it don't go to this pendulum either don't swing it to this side either 
The one who seeks God understands both these things and you don't seek the Lord out of earning or obeying so that you can get something, but you actually seek to please the Lord and out of that place righteousness comes. That's the paradox we live in. And he's gonna keep going and keep explaining. So let me read the next segment of verses because I would love to get to the end. <laughs> I'm starting out like Pastor Chris now. Only three verses in. I'll tell you what, I'm gonna get a text from him in a minute. <laughs> Verse 19, wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers in a city. Indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Really quick, there's some good stuff to pull out of here, but verse 19 is just reiterating the value of wisdom. But verse 20 is pretty much saying, but even though those who are really wise still sin, None are righteous, right? We see in Romans, Paul later refers to that. We, we think when he says, all of sin and all short of the God, or none of, no man is righteous, no one is upright in the eyes of the Lord. We see throughout the Bible that it's probably referring to right here in Ecclesiastes. And then verse 21, I believe he gives us a uni, universal example in case someone like, the, someone like the rich young ruler who says, teacher, or good teacher, what must I do to inter, uh, inherit eternal life or the kingdom of God? And he turns and says, have you obeyed the commandments? And the teacher, in his arrogance, replies, yeah, I've obeyed all of them. I've done this, this, and this. Do y'all remember this? He's like, okay, one last thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And then he walked away sad. And so, if someone's reading this with a mindset of like, wait, I genuinely try to be righteous. I don't think I'm wicked. I think Solomon gives us in verses 21 and 22 a clear universal example of everyone can't control their mouth all the time. There's some point you've sinned and talked about somebody. So if there's any doubt that you're not righteous in a sin, just reply. And in that, you're sinning. Does that make sense? And, and while I'm on the subject, let me talk about this just for a second because verse 22 and 23 almost feels out of place, but it's kind of a little a gem in the midst of this treasure field. It's a gem in this passage. Of, it gives us actually real practical advice on how to handle this with communication while also proving a point of, yeah, no one's righteous. Don't think that. It gives us advice because in verse 22, it says, don't listen too closely so that you'll hear what your servant saying and curse you. It is so easy as humans to be offended. It is so easy as believers to be offended. Oh man, if there's, there's a crazy stat, but I don't know if it's still true to this day, but when I was just graduated high school, I was looking into missions and I read the number one reason missionaries left the mission field, you know why? Because of the other missionaries that were there with them. Division, disunity, discouragement, that is so real. All, all, we see this unity of the church, and I don't wanna go off on too long of a rabbit trail here, but man, it is so easy to be offended. He said this or she said that or I heard they kind of muffle that under their breath so they probably assume this or they just think this of me and we hold on to this judgment or these assumptions or what was said. But can we humble ourselves and say, it's okay. That kind of hurt, but you know what? I've done that too. How many times has Ethan sat in a room one-on-one -on -one with somebody and said, hey, just between us. Hey, I'm not trying to talk about them, but I just need to vent. Hey, I'm just saying, I'm not gossiping, but I'm just saying, I do that with Cynthia about my parents all the time when they're not around. <laughs> but as believers, this just came to me, you know, when I was printing this, but can we pray for people more than we talk about them?
We, should, we have this grace. It reminds me of the parable of, of, of the, the, the servant who was forgiven of a little bit of debt, a little bit of debt, and the servant who and then he goes and, and he angrily replies this debt from somebody else and he doesn't forgive him. And God says, look how much I forgave you. And now you're, you're, you're casting stones over this. Sometimes I think we need to take a step back and realize how unrighteous we are before we point the finger. How unrighteous we are before we might receive a rebuke or judgment or, or something that hurts. And we're so quick to want to get defensive and we're justified in our anger. But as, as believers, shouldn't we have the most grace with each other? Shouldn't we have the most mercy with each other? Shouldn't someone be able, the most offensive person on earth should be able to come up and talk to me? And maybe in that moment, my reply is not perfect. I get it. But I should be able to go back to the prayer closet, give it to the Lord, and come back and still love them. As believers, we have the spirit of the living God, which we, if we recognize the grace he gave us, it's a lot harder to be mad, and it's a lot easier to give them grace. And so there's a lot of wisdom in those verses. We'll move on. Um, moving to verse 23, we're going to read 23 through 25, and then we'll go into the last section after that. 23. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And so what is he talking about? Solomon's saying that, hey, I didn't write fickle words down on a scroll. I didn't just do this before bedtime one night before I fell asleep on a Friday. I sought and tested this with wisdom. These findings here come out of wisdom. Trying to understand why the righteous die young and the wicked live long. I have sought the Lord on this. And I have seen everything under the sun as we've seen him say earlier. Solomon saying, I have genuinely and diligently pursued this. It's a serious matter. But I love verse 24. It says, what has been remote and exceedingly mysterious? Who can discover it? And then in verse 25, he searches for two things. I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation. Stop there. That's the first. An explanation of what? I believe it doesn't tell us specifically. I think some versions might say the scheme of things. I believe it. Yeah, it does say the scheme of things. But an explanation specifically of what? Of how can a loving, think about these big questions we wrestle with, guys. Think about these big questions we wrestle with as a kid. How does a loving God send people to hell? If, 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 why did my grandpa die if God really loves me? Why does so-and-so get cancer if God really loves me? Why, why if I was actually seeking to obey the Lord, why does this, this tragedy happen and strike? These big questions of, of we, I can't really figure it out, but Solomon's seeking an explanation of these, these schemes of things, these principles of the world, these laws of nature saying, Lord, Why? Why are humans so wicked and divisive and rebellious? But you said you made them good. Why? Solomon's saying, I, I, I sought to find an explanation to this. And we'll see in a minute what he found. And then secondly, he says, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. So I sought an explanation of the principles of all these big questions that start with why. And also, I sought to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And let's see what he found. He discovered four things. I finally have some points where I can put up a number. Four things Solomon found. The first is 
he found there's a, there's a temptation of sin he can't explain. There's an alluring of wickedness. There's a path that leads to folly, which is so slippery, but so attractive. He starts off in verse 26, and he says, And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. He's using the same imagery that he wrote in Proverbs 7 about lady folly. He's personifying folly. He's not talking about adultery and lust here specifically. He's not saying that women are bad and they led men to do this. It's not an Adam and Eve joke, right? What he's saying is this is a picture of foolishness. It's seductive. It's sweet. We actually believe that it's going to satisfy. We actually believe that it's going to be good. We actually believe that it's going to be worth it. But yet, where does he say it leads? And if anyone's credible to say where it leads, we've seen so far in these seven chapters, Solomon went through drunkenness and other pleasures physically, of course, sexually. He went through, had all the material gain. It says he was the richest man in the earth. It says silver was worthless to them because there was so much gold at that time. We talked about the pursuit of money, I think, a couple weeks ago. We talked about the, the vanity and just laboring your whole life and just working your whole life and not enjoying it and realizing to fear God. He, Solomon's went through all these categories of life and he says, you know what I found at the end of the, each one of those rabbit trails, you know what I found? It's more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. It's more bitter than death. And I think a lot of times the enemy gets us because we really don't believe that. We really believe it's good. We really believe it's going to satisfy. We really believe it's going to fulfill. I think the enemy attacks us with arrows that hit in all different places that we're vulnerable to. Some of it may be lust. Some of it may be greed. Some of it may be busyness. Some of it may be materialism, the pursuit of things, the pursuit of money, right? For a lot, pride. And I'm sure we struggle in measure with, with maybe all the lists, but there's some that, that really hit us in one way, shape, or form. And what he's saying is, it's bitter. It leads to death. It leads to folly. It's extremely wicked. And this is something that the Lord put on my heart. And I, you know, I, usually, I usually don't share this. And I usually try to keep this close to my chest because I don't want people to look at me differently. And also, I never want the attention to be on me. But I was so convicted and so, I guess, just joyful that this word is pure because of the Lord. Not because of Ethan. And the word of Christ, if it lives in you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, is pure. You are pure because of Christ in you. No matter where you are. I know there's been an uproar with different teachers and schools recently and here in the community of saying this and exposing kids to things at an early age and just kind of reiterates the fact that as, as parents, as the church, as believers, we have to raise our children up, raise our family up in the ways of the Lord because the lies of the world will come. And when they do, do we have truth for the folly? 
in the foolishness? Do they know why it feels attractive? Do they know what God says? Do we know what leads to life and what leads to death? And so when I was reading this, I was just reminded of, of how broken I am. I remember being in fifth grade and I went to a friend's house. I won't tell you who, don't overthink it. But I went to a friend's house and that's the first time he showed me his dad's collection of magazines. And from then on, I struggled with lust for a long time. And shortly after, the computers came out and made it a lot easier. And that took on many forms as I got older. And at some point, there was a serious struggle with alcohol and a couple different substances. And I was trying so hard. I knew the Lord. But these other things looked like they would be worth it just for a moment. And you know what Solomon's saying is no matter where you're at, I know who I am, I know my identity. And I am righteous in Christ. And, and I share that because I hope someone's encouraged. No matter where you are, sometimes we can come to church and we can be afraid to be honest of where we're at for fear we might be judged. We might think less than or maybe we actually want to believe we're not that. But no matter what your struggle is, no matter where you've been or where you are, God meets us right where we're at. And we're going to see that later by the last verse. But Solomon's saying wherever you are, if it's not, if, sorry, if it is in the nets and snares of foolishness, if you're living in foolishness, there's going to be an end and it's going to be more bitter than death. That is scary. And there's a couple of rock bottoms God had to give me. I had to break my heart several times in my parents' hearts as well. God had to give me before he said, do you finally believe, Ethan, that I'm better than this stuff? We need to know that, guys. The rabbit trail doesn't have an end. Or it's a dead end, I should say. The end of verse 26, one who is pleasing to God will escape from her. So how do we escape? No matter where you're at, we'll give some response later, but how do we escape this? By pleasing the Lord, by seeking the Lord. And when Solomon wrote this, Jesus hadn't came and freely given the Holy Spirit yet. But praise the Lord that on this side of Jesus, our faith not only is in Jesus who is alive and still today, but there's a Holy Spirit that empowers, empowers us and is a chain breaker and breaks the chains of these sins. And we can walk out of it sanctified, made new, a new creation in Christ. And no matter where you are right now, whether it's stuck one inch in the mud or you're drowning in the mud, God, right now you can walk out of here today with a repentant and humbled heart saying, God, I want to fear you again. I need you. But I, I've followed folly for so long, I don't even know where to start. I'm afraid to admit it. I, my family can't know where they'll think less of me. Wherever you are right now, if you're in this place, God, our, our God is a chain breaker. And he came through Jesus Christ. And I pray that the spirit of the living God falls on this place right now because someone in here needs chains and handcuffs to be knocked off before they leave the room. No matter what it is. That's the first thing Solomon discovered. The second thing Solomon discovered Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another, to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking but have not found. I have found, well, I'll stop there. Verse 27 through the first part of verse 28. He said, I'm, behold, I've discovered this, adding one thing to another, to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking but have not found. Going back to this explanation thing, he's trying to find an explanation of the scheme of things, of these big why questions in life, right? And what he's saying is, I can't understand it. 
I'm not sure where God's sovereignty meets man's responsibility. I'm not sure where God's love meets man's disobedience and the repercussions of it. I'm not sure why the righteous die young and the wicked die old. He's saying, I, I, I can't understand it. It reminds me of Isaiah 55, I believe. I have it here somewhere. It reminds me of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, when God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Remember back in verse 16, when he says, Don't be overly wise? There is never going to be a place on this earth as humans where we fully understand the mind of God, the mind of sin, and how they work together. And Solomon said, hey, I've searched it, I've tried, but I'm still searching. I can't find it. Who can? It's too big. It's too beyond me. The third thing Solomon found, and I'll try to speed up. He used poetry here in verse 28 saying, I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Some of your translations might say, I have, I have found one upright man or one righteous man among a thousand, but no, no women among all these. Solomon's not saying women are less than. There are several thoughts of why he used this. And I think the most common probable example is that it was a common poetry or rhetoric back in that day of writing, meaning virtually none of whatever you're talking about. And so he's saying, hey, I've seen a lot of people under the sun. I found none of them were righteous that didn't have some kind of skeleton in the closet or some kind of hidden agenda or some kind of selfishness that was about them. And, and we know he's not showing favoritism here, saying men are a little bit better than women because just go back to verse 20. No man's righteous, not even one. So that's just a little poetry there. Um, moving on to, that's the third thing he found. No one's righteous. And moving on to verse 29. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. And so this kind of goes back to the explanation, back to this problem of righteousness, back to this paradox we live in of should we try harder or just quit trying? Should we actually seek the Lord or just enjoy it because we're gonna die anyway? And he says, I actually don't know why the righteous die young. I don't know why the wicked live old and why they seem to be blessed and winning sometimes. But what I do know is that God is good and mankind has schemed, come up with many schemes or many devices. God is good, and he made us in his image, and he said that was good, but somewhere along the way, man messed that up. God is good, but sin into the world through man. God is good, but disobedience and rebellion comes out of man. God is good, but disease, corruption, natural disasters, everything else came out of man that broke this harmony with the Lord and is the whole reason Jesus had to come. Because we're living in this world of imperfection, there's going to be heartbreak. And I think Solomon tells us this to give us a deeper understanding through this passage is bad things are going to come and they are going to happen. But what you need to know is God is good. And somebody needs to hear that this morning because it wasn't God that took that family member away from you. It wasn't God, if you're bitter right now towards the Lord because of a tragedy or something in your past, it wasn't God that did that to you. I don't know the inner workings. Solomon said he doesn't know the inner workings of did he allow it, did he not allow it, did he commission it, did he not commission it. You know, the example of Job, all these other things. What he's saying is, I don't know, but what I do know is God is good and mankind has ruined it. And so someone needs to hear that truth this morning that although we don't fully understand God, we can still trust in him the fact that he is good and that he does love us. I love how 1 Corinthians, and I'll, and I'll end with this, but I love how 1 Corinthians 
Chapter 1, verse 30 says this, But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who, be- who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see that? Jesus, the four things he talks about, don't be overly wise, don't be overly righteous, don't be overly wicked, don't be overly foolish, don't be a fool. Jesus became to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, how to not live like a fool, and redemption for our wickedness. Jesus became these four things he sought. Jesus became this. This paradox of living that we can't fully understand the inner workings of Solomon says, and he's way smarter than we are. He was given wisdom from the heavens above. This this paradox of living, if it doesn't make sense, should we try? Can we earn it? Should we give up? Later we see, he didn't see Jesus yet, but his faith was looking ahead to the cross. But we know that Jesus already came and we're blessed to be on the other side. It talks about those who've received the Holy Spirit on the other side of Jesus are known as those in Psalms. It says those that are blessed and highly favored. We are blessed and highly favored that we now have the Holy Spirit, what Solomon did not have when he was writing this. I believe it was inspired by God, yes, but what was not accessible to his people as a whole. And so Jesus became this. So what, how do we make this paradox fit? God's goodness versus our wickedness. Here's how it fits. Jesus became all the inner workings of that paradox. He became all the puzzle pieces that fit this weird picture. He became our wisdom. He became our righteousness. He became our sanctification to continue making us righteous. And he became our redemption where he met us in the depth of that wickedness and redeemed it. He met us in the depth of that folly, of that foolish living, and he redeemed it. He met us in the depth of being arrogant, thinking we were right. I have a friend that gave me $1,000 for a mission trip the night before the money was due so I could go. And he's an adamant atheist, or he believes in spiritual things, but, and I never understood why. Because I'm like, hey man, you know, this is a Christian mission, right? He's like, yeah, 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 I know. I just want to help. You know I'm sharing the gospel, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, like, last time we talked, I I don't think you believe in what I'm doing, right? Ethan, I know that. But I know you're doing good. And later I went on another mission trip, a couple years later, and he gave again. And I never understood why my friend, who I have a lot of respect for, gives, but I know how he lives, and I know how he thinks, and I know what he believes. And I finally realized he genuinely thinks in his own mind that he is righteous. He genuinely thinks he's good. And he can point to things like that and other things as to reasons why he's a good person. I don't know where you are today, whether you're on the extreme of thinking you don't need God or Jesus, or whether you're at the extreme of knowing how broken and desperately wicked you are. But I pray right now that your eyes can be opened because we have a hope that goes beyond this world. We have a hope where there's no more pain and no more suffering. And so I'll challenge you with this as Josh is gonna close us in a song, but I just wanna challenge you with this. Can you let Jesus become your righteousness? I didn't have to earn that. He says, repent and put your faith in me. As believers, do we really believe the hope 
In Romans, it says, always be ready and prepared to give, to give it a defense of the hope which is within you. I didn't understand that correctly when I was younger, but I understand now that we as believers, no matter what's going on circumstantially, COVID-wise, health-wise, family-wise, drama-wise, work-wise, we have a living hope inside of us that people should look at our life and see such a difference. They're asking this question, Ethan, why are you different? You should be stressed right now, but why do you have peace? You should be depressed right now, but why do you have joy? You should be frustrated right now with that person, but why are you doing that for them anyway? Where's that living hope? Do we have that living hope? Are we living in it? Are people asking us about it? If not, we gotta redirect. And so I just wanna ask believers, if you really believe that Jesus came to be your righteousness, man, if you really believe that, I want you to stand up. And if you're not sure, it's okay. And I wanna ask during this song, I'll be kind of up here awkwardly in the front. <laughs> but if Jesus has not become your Lord and Savior, we know Solomon said, God is good, but man devised many schemes. Jesus glued these two back together through what he did on the cross by dying for our sins so that we might be in relationship with God again.